1: Hello and welcome back to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel. And today I'm speaking with Ilan Stavans and Jorge J.E. Gracia, authors of 13 Ways of Looking at Latino Art, published by Duke University Press in 2014. Ilan Stavans is the Louis Sebring Professor in Latin American and Latino Culture at Amherst College, where he also serves as the chair of the Spanish Department. Professor Stavans has commented, taught, and written extensively on Latino culture, Spanglish, modern American poetry, Latin music, and both American and Latin American literature. His work has been featured on National Public Radio, the New York Times, the Chronicle of Higher Education, and many other academic and popular media outlets. Professor Gracia holds the Samuel P. Capin Chair and is a distinguished professor in the departments of philosophy and Comparative Literature in the State University of New York at Buffalo. Professor Gracia's research and teaching has focused primarily on metaphysics, philosophical historiography, language, Hispanic-Latino culture, and issues of race, ethnicity, and identity. He has published literally dozens of articles, edited volumes, and book length projects in both the academic and popular press. Hello, Ilan and Jorge, and welcome to New Books in Latino Studies.
0: It's a
1: pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for your time. I was wondering if, um, you know, both of you come from such different personal, um, educational, professional backgrounds. So I was wondering if you could take a few moments for each of you to tell us a little bit about yourselves. Uh, Perhaps we begin with uh, Ilan and, and then Jorge.
0: It's a pleasure to be part of the show, and um, I love the uh, conversation in a variety of ways, and the conversation on the radio um, is particularly attractive to me. It seems to me that the radio uh, has the capacity to make us think in a way that other media uh, seldom has. Uh, I come from Mexico. I was born into a small Jewish enclave in the nineteen in the early 1960s and became an immigrant to the United States in the 1960s. Uh, I was a journalist for a while and eventually became a scholar. Uh, My interests are wide-ranging. I am fascinated by the phenomenon of popular culture, by the role of intellectuals in society. Uh, I am passionate about the development of language and how it changes and to what extent that language is a reflection of the society that uses it in the vice-versa and I am also very attracted to deep and complex ways of looking at identity uh, individual, collective, national, tribal uh, in terms of civilizations and that is one of the aspects that uh, brought me as a reader years back to the work of Jorge Gracia. Mm -hmm. Uh, I discovered it uh, in a bookstore a friend of mine who had been a student of Jorge's uh, began talking to me about him as well, more or less concurrently, and uh, I delved into his explorations of uh, Latino identity, the complexity, the thoroughness, the mm-hmm. the desire to to see it from a variety of perspectives, but mainly from uh, the perspective of clear uh, reasoning in the through the cognitive approach, and so slowly but surely I I was, uh, I'm going to say, trapped or uh, enthralled by Jorge's uh, mind frame, and uh, at one point I I sent him a letter, a fan letter, uh, telling him that I would love to engage him in conversation, and I guess the book started there. Wow, Your turn working <laughs> <okay.
2: laughs>
3: yes, well, my turn <laughs> well it 's interesting that actually coming from very different backgrounds and having diff- very different histories, we do have some uh, things in common that actually have uh, deba- have been the basis of our uh, well friendship and collaboration and so forth, and one of course is the interest in language and the other one is the interest in identity, particularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Latino Hispanic identity. Now, my my history is somewhat different in this sense. I came to the U.S. in 1961. I'm Cuban, and uh, therefore I came as a result of the upheaval in the in Cuba. And I came to the U.S. by myself and uh, at, at 18. All right. And I ter- actually I turned 19 on the day I arrived in the uh, continental U.S. And, uh, well, from there, what happened? Uh, I went to Jacksonville for a couple of months and then went to Miami. And from there, then I went to college. I had no family and so forth. So all of this was uh, it's a long history uh, that I'm not going to tell you. But anyway, I went to college, and there uh, what I experienced was this shock of the language and the relationship between the language and, and culture and identity. Mm-hmm. And so I began to search for my roots. At the same time, I, I was fascinated by the way that, uh, that language influences one's thought and it's also a a uh, a response or an effect of of that thought. That's how I became a philosopher. And I became actually interested in the Middle Ages because in the Middle Ages was where the language of philosophy was was put together as it were. Mm. And uh, so I went to Chicago to study uh, philosophy, the history of medieval philosophy, and then went to the Pontifical Institute in Toronto to do something similar to that. And uh, after going to Toronto, somehow, uh, well, I became uh, progressively interested more and more in my background as Latin American uh, and Hispanic and and so on. So I uh, worked very hard to learn something about the the philosophy in the Middle Ages in Spain and, and so on. And that led me eventually... To Latin America and the issues of identity that have been discussed in Latin America, mm-hmm. and uh, I started then a kind of a parallel uh, uh, career, one on as a scholar of medieval philosophy and metaphysics and so forth, and another one as a kind of uh, uh, um, Someone who is specialized on Latin American philosophy and thought, right. and that led then later on to the books uh, that I produced on on Latino identity and so forth. And what uh, brought I think uh, Ivan and, and uh, Ilan and I together. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess that that gives <laughs> you some background about. Uh, my thinking and so forth. I must say that uh, when Elan wrote me that letter, <laughs> proposing that we engage in a project, I thought he he wanted to do something in uh, on the photography. If I remember correctly, Ilan, wasn't oh, that right? Right. And yes. uh, you're right. And so I I was very busy at the time, and I said, you know, I, I'd love to do it, although I'm not entirely sure that I know anything about. Photography and that this would work out, but at the moment I just can't do the, anything. And then six months passed. I did. Uh, I got over my excessive amount of work that I had been committed to, and so then uh, I wrote back to him and said, "Well, would you be interested in doing the the book, these conversations on just art in general, and not necessarily exclusively to on on uh, uh, photography?" And he said, "Sure." And so that's the the beginning of the whole thing
1: ah, there we go, great, great <laughs> well thank you for uh, both of those introductions and uh, since you've you've explained the background kind of how we how you got to the project, can you speak a little bit more about how you decided um, you chose its particular form i mean there's a there's a very conversational dialogue form that follows the book that takes us through the discussion of these um, thirteen different pieces and and touches on just so many themes. so can you speak a bit to how you decided on you know that particular way of of narrating and writing the book?
0: Sure, I think I can I can pick that up. Um, in many ways, once Jorge and I were on the same page, kind of willingly ready to bring our minds together on the topic of art, I would say that the rest came rather. Easily, uh, and almost if I can use this image, uh, to the degree that the book I felt wrote itself. It 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 had this uh, structure that immediately became apparent to both of us, and because the structure allowed for a certain number of chapters and for a certain back and forth, it was mainly a way to bring the two of us together to that to to each of the different chapters, and do so mainly with the risk which we never fell into of turning this into a a mechanical conversation mm-hmm. that you are uh, mostly doing as a robot. I think it, it what made <laughs> the whole thing so exciting was that it was it it, it never ceased to be thought provoking and mm-hmm. engaging and surprising as well. And, and I can tell you, DJ, exactly how it worked. I suggested to Jorge at one point that I, over the years, had been fascinated by a poem uh, by Wallace Stevens. Uh, that comes from his first book of poetry uh, harmonium that is called Thirteen Ways of looking at a blackbird mm-hmm. and i, I yeah, a number of people have used this this concept thirteen ways uh, to bring forth the idea that there is no absolute truth that the truth is accumulative and that it is subjective it comes from a variety of perspectives and I mentioned to him that if we were going to do something on 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 Latino art, that maybe we could take the poem by Wallace Stevens as a kind of a blueprint and have 30 chapters that would enable us to look at identity and at Latino art through the prism of Thirteen artists, or more specifically, thirteen pieces of art by representative artists of a variety of backgrounds, all Latinos in one way or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, Latino understood in a, in a, in a broad sense. In that each of the chapters, maybe half of the chapters would be inspired by images that Jorge brought in that he was passionate about. Mm-hmm. In half of the chapters of the thirteen is the, is not an even number. One of us would have to add one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that were on the other side, and mainly meaning me suggesting them. And mainly, we came to an agreement of what the 13 pieces would be rather quickly. They, they, we wanted to be broad and representative, and mix photography and other media with painting. Right. Do works that come from Latin America. Do works, but that that uh, uh, kind of uh, allow for the Latino experience to to come forth, and other works that are. Produced here in the United States, we wanted to prob- problematize. I hate that word, but there it goes. <laughs> uh, what the whole concept is of Latino identity and Latino exactly. art,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and
0: and that that they kind of laid the ground for for the work
3: yes actually the 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 pieces it was very easy to to select the pieces as i recall we proposed each we began by proposing some some pieces and then the, we quickly agreed on the ones that were better than the others and I think that part of the agreement was that the pieces were provocative provocative mm-hmm. in the sense Certainly. that they we, they uh, made the reader or us. Uh, uh, the, the the observer uh, think about some particular issue, some particular problem that was controversial and that was important, and it was related to the issue of Latino identity and, and so on. So we started that way, and, and then more or less we ordered them. That was not very difficult either. We started out, of course, with the... Uh, with the one on Mexico, that wonderful piece. And then then we went to the, to the Cuban uh, one uh, and, uh, and so on and moved slowly through them. And then we discovered, of course, that you could concentrate on particular topics on each of them. Mm -hmm. But the interesting thing about all these pieces is that they can be, uh, interpreted in different ways. Right. And so, uh you know I took it out to you know I started let's say with one or uh Elan started with one and the other one continued, and then we would challenge each other or we would right. develop the idea and so on, so it was really i uh, I think that Evan got it right in saying that this was not mechanical at all. Right. it was right. really an impromptu type of conversation, and it was delightful. Let me tell you it was mm-hmm. delightful, and it was done through the internet all of it and wow. we didn't know wow. each other per we didn't know each other uh
0: personally. Uh-huh. That's the most interesting part, yes. We did not know each other personally. It was done by creating a kind of master document mm-hmm. that would go back and forth. The person that had it uh, would respond, and the other person wouldn't be able to do anything with the document until it came back to him. And back and forth, back and forth, always waiting to see what what type of a thought provoking approach the the our the partner had taken and ready to jump in again and uh, again it felt as if the book almost wrote itself for that reason it, in in the end i i guess uh, my experience is that it allowed me to see latino art in in a variety of perspectives that that go beyond me mm-hmm. uh, it invited me to challenge my own presuppositions uh, and uh, ultimately it, it did something that I simply adore and goes back to the very beginning of this conversation today DJ and that is conversation I right. think that two minds together uh, when they challenge each other respectfully uh, courteously but also probingly it uh, Can can bring forth some fascinating aspects of what the world is about that each of those nights alone wouldn't necessarily be able to do. Right. And that
1: comes across uh, throughout the book, Um, you know, in that uh, you've mentioned, uh, both of you, that, that the book seemingly. Wrote itself, um, and so there wasn't very much of a a mechanical structure to it. And so, coming to this as a third party, so we're not involved in producing it, uh, I can definitely tell that's that's the feeling that you get reading the book. Um, It does seem that the the conversation, the dialogue, it's flowing. Uh, And although it does center on Latino identity. it's still, it's it's never, it doesn't seem repetitious in any way. There are a number of other themes. We're talking about, uh, you know, religion or other types of, you know, experiences and uh, migration patterns, whatever it may be. Uh, all this kind of comes together uh, through this form. So uh, I, I certainly agree that um, that that there there is no sense of, you know. Uh, over, you know, mechanization to it, or uh, overproduction of it, and and it really just it fascinates me um, that it, the project was able to come together in that way.
3: Yeah, there is there is no outline, but there is one thing that is very interesting that I think probably is the most interesting thing about the book, and that is <clears throat> that here you have. A philosopher that's what i am i function mm-hmm. like a philosopher and here you have Ilan, who is uh, you know a literary person a, a commentator on culture and so on and so forth and we take you know it's we are two different uh, people in the sense of our approach to to our mm-hmm. thinking and the world and so forth but that brings to the book a kind of uh, uh, contrast and interest that i think uh, mm-hmm. if we had been uh, you know, both philosophers or both literary people, uh, right. you know, it would not be as interesting right? and right. exciting. And there is another thing I wanted to tell you, and that was that the back and forth was quickly, quick, very mm-hmm. quick. I mean,
2: yeah.
3: I would send yeah. back some comments to Ilan and, you know, <laughs> the, the response would come back Almost immediately, and vice no. versa
0: <laughs> yeah, it, went, it went back and forth it, we had we had set some parameters for the conversation dj so that uh, everyone had three days to respond uh-huh. okay. uh, the moment the the <laughs> manuscript arrived, but sometimes we would respond within an hour, uh, uh-huh. such was the excitement uh-huh. uh, in, in, Sometimes we would say, I've responded to this, but I want to look back at a, at a statement that I made on my previous answer. And though you can begin, I want to take the opportunity later on to simply uh, go back. And if, if I change anything, I'll alert you. I, 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 You know, we often in academia talk about... Uh, interdisciplinary uh, effort and to me at this point it it sounds shallow it it sounds as if uh, there are all sorts of strategies from the administrators to bring different departments together to see if people are going to work together. This was never, our project was absolutely spontaneous Mm -hmm. Um, it brought, uh, what Jorge is saying is true, you know when you're trained or when you have the disposition of being a literary person or being a philosopher your mind works in a particular way and I you know I say it somewhere in the book I, I, I learned to appreciate enormously the rigor with which Jorge was was approaching uh, the interpretation of a particular piece of art which in my case would be a different type of rigor that could maybe be more aesthetically pleasing by jumping from one topic to another mm-hmm. and I think that the two sides eventually complemented each other I felt like sometimes dancing a tango where <laughs> one takes the lead and the other responds and vice versa. <laughs> well, and the... Very appropriate metaphor. <laughs> exactly.
1: Definitely. And the one thing I wanted to also just mention really quickly, you, you sort of insinuated this um, earlier, because of your your different backgrounds, uh, you certainly, uh, you know, disagree, and ha- or at least have different approaches to the themes that they are addressed, that are addressed throughout the book. And uh, another pleasant surprise, I think, in reading it was that, that um, the times at which you disagree or offer seemingly, you know, divergent perspectives... Uh, that continues to flow. It's it's not uncomfortable uh, at all in the book, uh, and you, so you can tell the deep amount of respect that the two of you have uh, towards each other, and that you really are open and are approaching this as dialogue. Neither trying to, um, you know, convince or convert the other, if you will, to use a religious term, uh, to your perspective, right, or, or your background and training. Which um, I think, as you as you mentioned, was as was mentioned, you know, the, the focus on interdisciplinarity. Um, Perhaps oftentimes that that doesn't work as well, you know, uh, in, in so-called interdisciplinary uh, conversations or, you know, whether that's a conference or some type of a meeting, you know, uh, if yeah. all can kind of approach, I think, the come to the table as you two do in this work, I think this this produces really a, a model type of piece of scholarship and discussion. So, uh, again, just kudos on, on that.
0: Thank
1: you. Thank you. I, I did want to turn, um, as we mentioned a little earlier, to discussing – two particular pieces, um, and I wanted to begin with uh, the piece by the De La Torre uh, brothers, La Reconquista, which was produced in uh, 2010. And so, uh, Ilan, would you introduce this piece to us and uh, explain a little bit about it? What uh, what does it depict and, and how does it speak to the Latino experience? Maybe we'll, be, we'll begin uh, with this piece in that way. With
0: pleasure. Uh, this is a... The very first image that the viewer sees after the 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 preface Um, the title of the piece is La Reconquista by Einar and Jamex de la Torre. They are two uh, Mexican-Americans siblings who live in San Antonio and spend part of the year in uh, uh, the Mexican side of California and uh, part of the year in the American or North American side of California and um, they are deliberately derivative. What they try to do in their art which is is, uh, it, it takes two different paths or routes uh, that they are forking. and uh, One of them is their astonishingly baroque work with glass that has made them internationally famous, and it uh, requires much patience and dedication. A, a single a single mistake in the blowing of of a uh, glass can destroy the piece on which you. Have been working for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other one is the drawings and oil paintings and more figurative art. And this La Reconquista image comes from that second part. The the chapter of the whole is called The Labyrinth of History because in attempting to recreate a Renaissance image that they are in Iron Hammocks de la Torre attracted to, they transpose it to a 20th Mexico, it replaced some of the iconic figures of the Middle Ages and the Renaissance that appear in this image with Mexican icons of the uh, War of Independence, of the Mexican Revolution of 1910, and of the pre-partido the revolucionario institucional, the ruling party that that was in power for almost uh, uh, 60 years, and uh, that uh, the a, a sense of over um, over imposition of images that is the the history that we receive from the past is one but there is always a, a, the capacity to revamp it to reinterpret it and, and furthermore I think what they are saying and is something that I take to heart is that Latin American art and that's why I thought this should be a if not the first at the very beginning of the book Latin American art finds originality in derivativeness that it seeks to uh, use tools, uh, genres, parameters that come from outside, predominantly from Europe, it, it makes them native by acclimating them to the environment in Latin America, and then revamps them altogether to produce something that will be seen as a kind of response to the, the region's history, and also a response to what Europe, Europe's art is all about, what projected to the former Colonies. Mm-hmm. In, in this, in in a recent book that I just published called "The Quixote, the Novel and the World," there's a chapter there on the on this type of aesthetic that. The I say comes from a short story by Borges called Pierre Menard, Author of the Quixote, in which uh, the, the great masterpiece Don Quixote is rewritten and according to the narrator is, not, is no longer the same. The, in the act of rewriting it makes it different and the act of rereading it in a different time and place will make the story become something altogether new. I love the work of the, the La Torre brothers. They are roughly my age, they are roughly, uh, they have roughly a similar experience to mine, having been born in Mexico, came to the United States in the clash of Hello? cultures. Hello?
1: Yes, we're still here. It,
0: okay, are, are, are we, are we there there? Three, Yeah, I think the three of us are here.
1: Yes, we're also here. Um, yeah
0: so the, the clash of those two cultures ends up producing something that is that is unique and before i i i conclude this section i want to tell you that um, this book with jorge has been really exhilarating to produce and among other things it has been an invitation to me as a as a thinker and as a writer to go beyond what we said on the page on these pages and start exploring the art of one or more of this artist in depth, I am, um, I just recently did something on, on Adal, a Puerto Rican, New Yorkian poet who is the sub, whose work is the subject of the very last chapter, Twister, Twister Tongues, eh, uh, on a, on a piece called uh, the, Las Panglish sandwich Bodega bag. And I would love at one point and have begun a conversation with Einar and Have to delve deeper into their art and look at the the work that they do with crystal, with with glass and the their other type of work, more pictorial,
1: uh, to 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 turn it into the
0: subject of a single book.
1: Right. Great. Thank you for that. And Jorge? <laughs>
0: Well, uh, this this
3: uh, piece is really a monumental piece uh, by the Relatorial uh, Brothers. It's, uh, I mean, the fact that it's a cryptic, that it is uh, uh, done on a kind of uh, religious uh, theme, the background and so forth, taken from uh, another author. And uh, that it tries to go beyond and adapt that, as, as uh, Ilan was saying, to Another set of uh, problems or issues. It's extraordinary. I mean, you could spend hours and hours uh, writing about this piece, and so this true. makes it yes. really an extraordinary uh, piece. Now, one of the interesting things—I I mean, it, lo- it looks to me like it's—it's a, it's a kind of conceptual palimpsest. You mm-hmm. know, a palimpsest is is uh, a manuscript right. in which there was writing first, and then writing other uh, moral writing was put on top of the original writing right. and so on so that you have various levels of meaning and, and interest and here of course the notion of the reconquest la reconquista is really fundamental because you could read this as saying that okay uh, there was this reconquest in spain and now the uh, the Spaniards came and conquest conquered uh, Latin America, and now there is going to be or it, there is already a reconquering of Latin America by the peoples of Latin America.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: that we have moved, uh, we we are achieving uh, what this what the Spaniards achieved in the Iberian Peninsula, but in this new context. And then there is an ironic side to the whole thing because. Uh, the play on the changing the faces of the individuals uh to uh don't know from from the originals in the in the uh in the piece to Mexicans of today and so on all yeah. that is just uh, enormously rich
1: no, it, cer- it certainly is, and it's as you mentioned. You could spend one could spend hours writing about it. Uh, one could spend, as I've had over the last uh, you know couple of weeks, um, reviewing your your work, this book, just looking at it and analyzing it. And um, yeah, I think it spurred a wonderful conversation uh, in the book itself between the two of you, a wonderful dialogue where you discuss the. You know the, the the subversive aspects of the piece. It's it's satirical take on this old, you know, master painting that's Hans uh, Memling's The Last Judgment, um, mm-hmm. and the, the, as well as you've mentioned the, the labyrinthine quality of this piece and and how that speaks to the ambiguities of. The historical experience for Latinos right so those are things right. that are covered in this chapter one thing I particularly found interesting that the, the two of you it seemed towards I don't know if it's the middle or end of the chapter to um, take different approaches as to what defines Hispanic culture civilization and identity you know what is it that holds all those things together and I was wondering if you could right. take a few minutes, each of you, um, Jorge and Ilan, to, to speak about your particular perspective. Uh, one of you, uh, you know, there's, there's kind of the, th- there's a debate in the chapter as to whether there are actual, I think this was Ilan's perspective, distinctive traits or essences that uh, right. make it something Hispanic, <laughs> or were there these shared familiar, uh, familial similarities or like a shared history? I think that was more of right. uh, Jorge's perspective. So w- would the two of you talk on that a bit?
2: Sure. Uh, okay,
3: I, I, <laughs> you want to go first, Ilan? No, no, no. You go first. You go first. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> <But>, well, they, <laughs> this is an area of uh, actually a, a strong disagreement between Ilan and me, because uh, the you know I have devoted some time to the thinking about how is it that, the, that ethnic groups and particularly Latinos or Hispanics, depending on what you want to call them, although they, they the the two terms pick different pro- populations. Right. But anyway, so uh, what is it? How do you conceive the unity that this group has? Uh, and my view is that uh, it's impossible to come up to, for, to, to identify constant Uh, that that inform the entire history of uh, Latino history or Hispanic history. Uh, It's very difficult to defend that. And because of this, I have uh, proposed that instead of thinking in terms of a set of conditions that are satisfied by this particular population or anybody that fits this category, what we need to do is think in terms of what a family is. Now, in a family, uh, the members of a family may share one characteristic or two or whatever, but they don't share all their characteristics. Mm -hmm. And it is the case that they do not share a single, all the members of the family share a single characteristic. Not everyone in the family has the same nose. Not everyone in the family has the same intelligence. Not everyone Mm -hmm. in the family has, uh, you know, the same good looks or bad looks or whatever. But at least some members of the family share something. So there is a kind of a chain involved here. And so a family resemblance. So if one thinks about Hispanics or Latinos as a group of people that have a kind of family resemblance, not in terms of looks or anything like that necessarily, although it could be that way, uh, then you can explain how there is continuity in the group and how uh, common features occur and common experiences develop. And that's uh, the way I uh, propose to think about ethnic groups and particularly Latinos, Hispanics.
2: Right. While
3: for Elan, uh, for there is an essence or something which identifies
0: us. Right, for me, the perspective is uh, different. Uh, there is a... Uh, um, uh, uh, shared commonality uh, that is defined by the cultural the historical bringing and that might come to us through language through the set of moral values that have been established um, and by simply uh, having been in the same geographical space uh, even though sometimes, as a result of immigration and other uh, factors, uh, that that shared space is no longer there. Uh, to, for the most part, it also has to do with a uh, uh, with a kind of uh, depository of memories that are. Uh, introduced by the civilization itself in that create a sense of unity or continuity. At one point, DJ, in the, in the chapter, I believe it's in that chapter, but I might be wrong, there is a moment in which um, Jorge and I talk about not so much the same syntax or grammar that people might have when speaking a language or behaving in a particular way, mm-hmm. but the syntax and grammar of dreams. And mm-hmm. one question that has plagued me, that or at least that obsesses me, uh, to which I find no answer. But I have come to realize that the answer really is irrelevant. That it is the, in the asking of the question that that uh, I find most. Uh, interest is is dreams. Do we do people from the same uh, culture or civilization have a similar approach to dreams that differs from people in other cultures or in other languages? In other words, do people uh, right now my age in Germany and somebody my age in South Korea and myself uh, here in in the United States of Mexican background do our dreams explain themselves differently it might be really a redundant more playful topic than anything else it might not lead too far but I think that the grammar of dreams in many ways is also an explanation of how a uh, cultures or civilizations get to be made
3: mm-hmm.
1: You both yeah, are, the
3: only uh, the only the only thing is
0: that dreams
3: change, and with time right. they change mm-hmm. in the context and so forth. And that's what I like to uh, emphasize. And Ilan wants to, uh, likes to emphasize the commonality of some elements. Right. So there you are. The <laughs> <have a> disagreement. <laughs> well, it, it was, but that disagreement. Oh,
1: that's fine. The way the disagreement worked out in the book, I think, was great because the the two of you there is there's a number of exchanges where you're really trying to figure out each other's perspective. So it, right. uh, as you meant in as you mentioned before, since you haven't met each other, you really didn't know where this discussion was going to go. And eventually, in the, the chapter, you figure out, okay, we do disagree on this. <laughs> you know, we're coming right. to this from different perspectives. Uh, you know, and Did so, you know? You
0: know, DJ, I, I I want for you and for your for your listeners mm-hmm. to just think of something that is at the is in the background of all this, and uh, th- that it's really crucial for the making of a book like the one that we're talking about. Really, two people that don't know each other decide to work together on a project that will not be there to advance anybody's career, right, but for sh- right. the sheer pleasure of finding out how the other person thinks. Mm-hmm. Had we known each other for many, many years, I think probably we wouldn't have done the book. <laughs> and probably the element of surprise in the book right. is that the fact that you're not only answering the question that has just been asked, but trying to figure out who's in front of you, mm-hmm. how the person thinks, mm-hmm. would would disappear. And and um, I you know I I I love this book for that reason I love the book because we both entered. It with certainly a degree of respect but an absolute lack of knowledge of you know the most basic elements of how the other person functions in life Mm -hmm. just from reading somebody else's work you don't get to know if they are I don't know punctilious or they are they get angry quickly or impatient with themselves or Mm -hmm. or whatever and so here all those elements are part of the dynamic and that made at least for me as a participant the work kind
1: of a thrilling experience and it's certainly. It, it, i think it resonates with the reader um in that it's something that, that that i could relate to as i try to carry on conversations with people it just didn't you know my daily routine i take a a um you know light rail train uh from you know pasadena to uh to downtown los angeles to make my commute as part of my commute and oftentimes I hear conversations that I would rather kind of like to be a part of, and I try to butt my way into them, and and uh, I don't know where they're going to go. And sometimes these conversations end up very nicely, uh, and um, other times we're talking about politics and or some <laughs> other maybe controversial issue, and I completely disagree with this person, and it kind of blows up in my face, and I got to sit there for five minutes or just being really uncomfortable. You know? <laughs> but so you know, I think that you know, in in hearing you, that, I'm sorry, in reading the two of you you know, come to an understanding of each other uh, and being okay with that understanding and being okay to disagree, it really was, uh, you know, again, it really is a gem. It is something that that I really do appreciate, appreciate appreciate about the book. And there's something about the form, I think, that you, you know, you decided to conduct a project in this way that allows that to to come through, whereas in, in other types of works, as you mentioned, you know, work that you would use to a monograph or sorts you would use to advance your academic career would not allow this, you know, so that is certainly true. Well, I know that we, we have we have limited time, so I definitely want to get to the next piece we're going to discuss, uh, which is uh, Jose Beria's uh, Segundo Su Instinto, and Jorge, well, you're, you're going to lead on this one, right?
3: Yes. All right. This is a wonderful piece. I mean, I, I not only like uh, what it... Uh, the the thought that is behind it, but actually I like it, uh, physically. It's aesthetically very pleasing. And, uh, one of the interesting things that I find in the piece, and I can't remember exactly what I said about it, uh, before, but what I find is this, uh, what I mentioned before that the pieces here in this, uh, um, in this book, Suggest various ways of interpreting them, mm-hmm. and here you have one that if you uh, go by the sort of the first impression, you immediately, because the author or the the artist is uh, Beria, who's Cuban and of course uh, left Cuba and lives in Miami, and what you have here is a um, a a human uh, half animal, half human running away, then you immediately say, okay, this is a piece about the flight of Cubans from Cuba. So basically Mm -hmm. that's what, what, Stands out, But then you can look at it and say, well, hold on, is this just about the particular event? Well, then you can say, okay, you, you extend it to the event of immigrants from other places mm-hmm. that have to leave their countries and so on, the, their plight and so on, and the reasons why they leave and so on. And then you go into another level and say, well, can we think about Just any kind of flight that Mm -hmm. we have to engage in. Mm -hmm. I mean, the the circumstances in our life uh, or lives in which we have to abandon our comfortable position, our comfortable uh, uh, the way we think and so on and move into different areas and that they pose a, a, a risk. At the same time, when we're doing that, we're carrying with us baggage, suitcases, the two suitcases that you see in the, in the, in the picture. Right. And we are guided by some, perhaps, uh, idea or uh, that it's like a, like a bird. And here you have four birds that, that precede the, fi- the figure that is running away from what? Right. It's running away from some danger, from mm-hmm. what is perceived at the danger, namely a, a, a knife and so forth. And so uh, that's another level of exploring that. And you can, you can then uh, uh, expand that in various, various dimensions so that the, the, uh, the figure, it, it is a very common experience of human beings that they have to, at some point in life, abandon something right. and then move on to something else. And here makes it very dramatic and all the elements that are uh, important in such uh, situations are here. Like, you know, the, the the figure on the left where you have something that is like blowing wind. Mm-hmm. And so you are being pushed away and at the same time you're rushing and so on. So all of this brings to, to home... Uh, number of ways of interpreting it and therefore uh, enriching your experience
1: right definitely
0: Mm -hmm. in uh, for me the piece is about the exile as well, but uh, in as as uh, Jorge was mentioning it in a in a broader spectrum, it is about the uh, the experience of movement, and I believe the, one of the early thoughts that I had when beginning the discussion in this chapter with Jorge was the difference between the ways that we refer to people that have that are in the process of in the process of the. Uh, of moving uh, i 'm thinking of a of an immigrant i 'm thinking of an exile i 'm thinking of a refugee i 'm thinking of a slave i 'm thinking of a traveler i 'm thinking of a tourist uh, in other words people who for one reason or, the, or another find themselves not in the place where they were originally from either voluntarily or otherwise and they have to uh, they have to relocate i think we are creatures in Movement and creatures of movement, and the piece by Vedia really speaks to one um, degree of emotional uh, of emotional force that uh, that makes it very attractive to me, and and that is already. Present in the title, Sigiendo Su Instinto. What ultimately all travelers have, eh, all tourists, all eh, exiles, or refugees, or, or immigrants, or or maybe. Migrants, meaning an immigrant within the country, like say Native Americans or somebody that moves from one house to uh, from one state to another, is that they have their instinct. In the instinct, it is. It might be difficult to describe, but it's ultimately the 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 GPS, the the coalescing force, the anchor, the map, the compass that will allow this individual to create a new home.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: however long that might take mm-hmm. in the new habitat uh, if you don't have anything you only have hope that's what the, often the cliché says And in this painting you have your instinct and your instinct will take, will take you somewhere else and, and ultimately lead you to find some sort of roots in the, the capacity to recreate home, we have in Spanish a beautiful distinction between casa and hogar which is also available in English, a house and home Right. And uh, the right. and the instinct is very clear in knowing the difference between both of them. We know that a house is just an a, a, a architectural structure, right. but a home is the warmth that comes with it. Mm-hmm.
3: I, one I really one can... of the things. Go ahead. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I, that really fascinates me is the bags that that, that the right. figure is carrying. Right. Because it seems that, you know, uh, it could not leave those bags. Right. And wherever we go, we carry these bags, even in the academic profession. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're trying to get away from a rut, let's say. We're in a rut. And so we're not going anywhere. And so on. And all of a sudden, we want to uh, chart a new course, take a, a chance, and look for new avenues, new, Uh, interesting uh, places to go conceptually, but we can never leave those bags away, and and what those bags contain, it's not clear here. What is it? Mm -hmm. Well, normally when you go away, it's your, uh, your clothes, the things that you value, and so forth, but, you know, for each of us, it may be something different. So I related to this personally about many times that in my life I had to uh, make these changes, um, not only uh, in Cuba, but so in my academic life, in my career.
1: Right. right. And, you know, speaking, so you bring up the, both of you discussed this universal quality that this, uh, of movement and, you know, even migration that, that the, the the painting speaks of. Um, this led the two of you in a, in a discussion, in your exchange, to talk about escape, and this, um, you know, the myth of escape and, and particularly escaping from certain aspects or, you know, constraints of, of Western culture. And uh, so I was wondering if you and in one point, I think it was um, I'm trying to think if I wasn't even sure if it was you, Jorge, who brought up the the baggage as those being, you know, if we're if we're fleeing for something from something within our culture, some type of, you know, tyrannical aspect of it that, that seems right. constraining or pressuring it that desire we that desire to escape it which is instinctive also we have the the almost inability it seems to let it all go as you mentioned so exactly that's what the baggage at least in in, in your interpretation kind of represents you know our desire to both flee uh some aspects of our culture but still an unwillingness to let it all go uh could the two of you perhaps maybe just exchange briefly uh, on that? On uh, it's titled here. You guys kind of refer to this here as the myth of escape, and but really it's about this. There's there's something kind of inherent maybe within Western culture that drives an, an instinctive kind of response uh, to try to escape it through taking I don't know vacations or you know expressing oneself through art or written form or something like that, right?
3: right. That's right. You want to say something, Elon?
1: Yes, I, I, um, I, I
0: think uh, that escape is uh, something that inevitably we are drawn, drawn to and that defines our lives in multiple ways and that ultimately makes us who we are. We, we might say jokingly, but we escape the, the the place of our birth or the family that raised us or the first uh, the first lover that we had uh, just as we are compelled to be in that family that we are uh, happy to be in that place, we also feel suffocated by it, and we want to escape because we are given this sense of freedom of exploration of travel of going outside and because uh, we we feel that often that we are trapped in our own being that that the very constraints of our of our of our our identity of our uh, selves are a kind of of prison. I, I I love someone like Shakespeare or or someone like like Cervantes because it seems to me that through their art they are capable of taking vacations from themselves, of escaping who they are and becoming a Hamlet or becoming Othello or becoming Ophelia or becoming Sancho and in and, and the Alonso and in Don Quixote and what have you. in and we we often talk about the escapist quality of art or the escapist quality of routine the fact mm-hmm. that routine gives us this grounding element that makes the body come to a kind of rhythmic uh, mechanical approach while the mind can escape while the imagination go on, can go off so all this to, to bring back, to come back to the, the image uh, of Bevia and to come back to that very concept that I think is at the very core of Western civilization when when even Freud talks in his uh, thesis on psychoanalysis that we look for ways to escape the very powerful superego and want the the forces of the instinct to be expressing themselves all the time as if we were savages we are always in the middle of a battle we are that battle itself and forms of of escapes forms of escape are what drive us in multiple directions they the immigrant or the the exile or the refugee ultimately have something that others don't have that is they, they can escape uh, that doesn't mean that they solve their dilemma but they do get to move something that all of us in one way or another are hoping even with the imagination to achieve right and the, the point about this escape is that uh, it's always
3: accompanied By, of course, a rejection of something, but at the same time, a goal or some idea that that you have. So the birds here are in front of uh, the figure, just uh, uh, drawing the figure forward. Mm -hmm. But we don't know exactly where the birds are going to land. We don't know what's there. So it's a kind of an idea of moving and leaving, but we don't know... What that ultimate uh, uh, home or house or <laughs> oh God, as you pointed out, future. it's going to be, and whether it's going to work or not. So it's a very perilous journey, and yet we we all the time, in order to to continue to be vibrant, uh, we have to do it. Yeah.
1: yeah, That's you know that's so true. These it, it it seems to resonate with me because I think as there is there there is that element of peril or uncertainty that comes with you know movement or migration or or escaping. At the same time, there is sort of a dichotomy in that there's there's a sense of comfort in it. You know, there's a sense of comfort in the promise of whatever it is we we think we're fleeing to uh, or escaping yeah. from. Maybe it's more of what we're escaping from than what we're going towards. Um, I don't know. It it uh, but. Uh, Definitely both of those aspects seem to speak to me, and that this painting uh, does you know, a great job at, at provoking that type of thought. Okay. Well, thank you both for your comments on uh, these two pieces and, again, for producing this work and, and coming on our channel. I did want to give you, as we wrap up uh, each of you, just a, a brief moment to tell us what it is that you're working on a, at this point. And perhaps, uh, Elon, uh, we start with you real quickly? Yeah. You- and I am working on a number of
0: different projects. Maybe the most significant and connected to this is that I am almost at the last stages of a book on selfies as a cultural phenomenon. Mm. Uh, <laughs> why Why is it that we have become so fascinated with turning our iPhone to to photograph ourselves? Right. Uh, are we more narcissistic than any generation <laughs> that preceded us? Uh, has the selfie itself changed our perception of who we are? Mm-hmm. And uh, to what extent the sending out of the selfie on social media is a form of falsifying who mm-hmm. we are and uh, turning it into some sort of capital so that uh, we will attract others uh, depending on what our missions are so I've been writing about the history of portraits and self-portraits about the the first kodak camera in fuji and about this uh, it seems to me extraordinary phenomenon of the selfie as something that needs to be seen from the philosophical psychological cultural technological sides in the maybe attempt not to answer but to offer some questions connected to it.
1: Right. Sounds fascinating. All right.
0: What you Yes. <clears throat> Actually,
3: I'm finishing all kinds of little projects, articles, and things that people have asked me for. But at the moment, I'm going to make room for writing a kind of uh, intellectual autobiography from the time that I arrived in the U.S until uh the present because i it's sort of the last uh, (laughs) one thing that i want to do in my life in other words a a thoughtful and a narrative uh for myself really for my own benefit about finding out how I arrived to where I I have arrived, mm-hmm. and what has been the, the you know the tone the tone of my life or the tenor of my life, and I, in the, in, on the way I will have the philosophical axe to grind, namely I'm going to try to point out uh, what the good life is, mm-hmm. and so that's the that's my project at the moment.
1: Great. Well, both of those sound fascinating, and, and th- both of those I assume are going to come out in in book form. That's your the how you're anticipating producing them. Is that Correct for both Hopefully, you, uh, yes. Ilan and, and Jorge?
0: Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Great. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, thank you again both for coming on to New Books in Latino Studies. It's, it's been a pleasure. Wonderful.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you for having us, and thank you for allowing the conversation to
1: continue. Certainly. Thank you for tuning in to New Books in Latino Studies. I'm David James Gonzalez, the host of the channel, and I hope you've enjoyed my conversation today with Ilan Stavans, and Jorge J.E. Gracia, authors of 13 Ways of Looking at Latino Art, published by Duke University Press in 2014. If you'd like to contact us, please send us an email to newbooksinlatinostudies at gmail.com. You may also watch for our postings on Facebook, or we can also invite you to comment on iTunes, if that's how you download and listen to our podcast. We also invite you to purchase uh, the book, 13 Ways of Looking at Latino Art, and you may do so by following our link to Amazon on the page. Thank you so much.